trigger warning everyone it's not an easy subject to talk about humans can 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 function very well when they have stresses on them but once the numbers of stresses get too big then they kind of that's when they implode magical greetings everyone welcome to the world it's magic webinar i'm rubens co-founder and director of spells at abracademy abracademy believes the world needs magic not only rabbiting hats but also the magic of people. Magic creates powerful learning experiences that open the mind and make learning a process of joy. But magic can also enhance well-being, confidence building, social skills, a sense of belonging and positive emotions. This is even more important this week because we celebrate World Mental Health Day. So we'll talk about the biggest of all magic, the magic of the mind. Our guest today is Kevin Braddock. He's an author, journalist and mental health advocate. But how does he bring magic to the world? Well, Kevin has more than 25 years experience as a writer and editor. He worked for The Face, GQ, Slick Magazine in Berlin, but he's also author of Everything Begins with Asking for Help. It is a must-read, so take notes so you can order after you listen to the podcast. In today's episode, we'll talk about why is it so hard to ask for help and how to make it easier. We'll also discuss how to cope when the mind is going bonkers. But before we start the conversation, I would like to ask you a question, inspired by Kevin's book. Is there anything that you might want today that you are afraid to ask? It could be a hug, could be money, could be a break from work, it could be asking for help. But perhaps this brings you inspiration to go there and ask. Okay, and now it's time to talk to Kevin. Kevin, welcome, thank you for joining us today. I find talking about the mind one of the most challenging things, although it's also one of the most human things. And being so, I wonder if you could share a bit about yourself and your story. How did you end up writing and talking about the mind? Hi, everyone, and thank you for the uh, thank you for inviting me into the into the webinar. Uh, God, where to start? I mean, the how did I start? Um, I had a big breakdown, a big nervous breakdown. In I was living in Berlin. Uh, I lived there for about five years and just over about six years ago, I had a big, you know, uh, nervous, nervous breakdown is one of the words for it. And, you know, people talk about burnout. That's the one that looks good on LinkedIn. I've had a burnout. And, um, you know, the, the truth of the matter was, is what's, what happened, you know, a lifelong sufferer of um, depression, anxiety. I had a, a, it's what's called a major depressive episode you know, severe depression. And um, um, that's, yeah, that, that's the, I mean, what, you know, the truth of the matter was, was a suicide attempt. So, you know, trigger warning everyone, it's not an easy subject to talk about. And um, it was one day in Berlin, I was like a whole load of, you know, this happens in life where humans can, can, can function very well when they have stresses on them. But once the numbers of stresses get too big, then they kind of, that's when they implode, you know, and that's what happened. A very stressful job. I had a, 
a physical illness, a glandular fever. I don't know if anybody's had glandular fever here. Anyone had it? So, oh, right. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very, very unpleasant uh, illness and you get it by kissing people. So, you know, be careful who you kiss. And um, glandular fever, you know, a relationship that was kind of sort of hitting a tough patch and just, I think, also a kind of existential crisis. You know, what's the meaning of life and who am I? And, and you know, the age of, I was 42 at the time. Life begins at 40, doesn't it? And um, all this kind of like just collapsed on me one day. And I was, uh, um, I had gone into the, I used to work in, does anyone know Berlin? Do you know the TV tower, the big thing with the, I used to work in an office block near there. And um, I woke up one morning, Sunday morning, feeling just awful, terrible, just full of all this swirling nasty feeling and I thought the first thing I can do is go and resign from this job so I went to the office and wrote got in there and wrote out a resignation letter and left it on my boss's desk and thought that's you know that's a proactive thing to do went back down to the to the to the to the street and was just really overwhelmed you know and uh and what happened was that uh, you know, this isn't, this is, like I said, it's not easy stuff to talk about this, but you did ask me and uh, it's good to be honest, right? And, you know, this, what this, what this manifested as was a very strong desire to end things, you know, like uh, it's this strange logic of suicidality where you sort of think, well, the obvious thing to do is just, you know, one way of getting rid of all this is to get rid of myself, you know? So I was outside of this office box for a long time and I thought, well, you know, I've always been a heavy drinker, so I might as well go out the way I like and just drink myself to death. And I was trying to do it, you know. And um, after a while, a different thought came into my head, which was, well, you could ask for help, you know. And uh, so I had my, I had a Blackberry at the time. Remember Blackberries? So I, you know, Facebook on it as well. And I typed out this message saying, this is where I am. And, uh, you know, can somebody come and come and pick me up? I need help and put this thing on Facebook and, and very, everything went quiet for a few minutes. And uh, then the phone started, it went red hot, you know, it was like bleeping and flashing and ringing and vibrating and a friend rang and he said, where are you? And I said, I'm here. And he said, okay, I'll, I'll come and pick you up. And they took me to a, he took me to a crisis center in a hospital and and I sat in front, they put me in front of a psychiatrist, you know, this is a mental health crisis in action. And, um, you know, the psychiatrist sat me down and she said, okay, tell me the whole story. And I went, okay, well, you know, all the way back to history of depression and anxiety and medication and therapy and being a teenager and you know, all the stuff that you get with being a teenager, does it all the way back. And I kind of, I remember hearing myself talk about this and thinking, well, that's quite a lot to have been carrying around for such a long time, you know? So I was an outpatient there for a while. And then, uh, then eventually just kind of, uh, you know, stayed in Berlin a little longer, then came back to the UK to recover. And I started writing about these experiences and they turned into the book that, that Rubens has just shown you. And there's been a sort of successive, you know, made some other products such as these cards to help people to deal with depression and anxiety and, you know, appeared in the media and written some stuff, uh, some of the broadsheets and just been on a kind of process of recovering, finding out more about why these things happen and, and understanding, for instance, that there's a, like I never knew this, there's a difference between 
suicidal ideation, which is thinking about it, and suicidal intention, which is wanting to do it, you know, and obviously the next step for, in tragic cases, is that people take action about it, and, you know, it's a direction of travel, and I was traveling that way, so, you know, I wasn't aware of any of this stuff at the time, and had no real history of suicidal feelings, but I think it was, you know, in some ways, it's a sort of natural response to what happens when people just have too much on top of them, you know. So, so uh, subsequently in the last, you know, that was six years ago and the last five or six years been kind of piecing things together and finding out more about this stuff and writing about it and reading a lot and taking an interest in mental health advocacy and, um, you know, this, looking at some of the big problems that we have in society. Men in depression is obviously a, a big thing, men in suicide, but you know, the interesting one at the moment is young women that's where the incidence of, of uh, presenting to crisis and hospital services is, is, that's where it's going up fastest is among young women who are suffering with, you know, all the classic ones, self-harm, body dysmorphia, um, eating disorders and so on. So it's, you know, and I kind of think the other thing that seems to have been happening more broadly in the last five to 10 years is we have a far greater awareness of mental health, certainly in the UK, and, you know, that's been increasing. And I think we're also, you know, it's a very contemporary subject because alongside coronavirus, it seems like we're, we're having a mental health illness pandemic at the same time as well. So all these things seem very, very uh, relevant at the moment. So that's, that's how, that's how it's, that's where it's started, Rubens. It's obviously quite a cool version. Thank you so much, Kevin, for your openness and for really sharing. But I think it's hard subject, but it brings so much light, right? Uh, I think you talk about the first step, like doing this step of asking for help. Uh, why is it so difficult? And what advice would you give to someone that, I mean, how, how can we support people asking more for help? I don't know. I mean, it, it, I don't think there's any, you know, there isn't a how-to guide on ask for help. I think that the key thing is to understand that why, don't, why people don't like doing it, which is they feel... I think this is especially true of men. They feel a huge degree of shame and weakness about, about needing anything or anyone, anybody's help. I mean, men are, tend to be more archetypally self-reliant. And um, I think that, you know, it's kind of, it, it presents you as in some ways, you know, nobody likes the feeling of appearing needy or, or, or weak in some way. And I think those are the, you know, those are the in, inhibitors, but, uh, you know, in my case, it was kind of in, I mean, it's not like I make a habit of asking for people for help all the time, but, but I've understood that the more, you know, the, the more I'm unable to do something, the more I think that this, this problem needs to be distributed. And actually most people do want to help and are able to in some way. And if we share these things, then they tend to, you know, the same principle applies. If you're, if you have a huge problem in your life, there's no, you can't do anything about it until you, address it and confront it and then find what resources you need to begin to overcome it and I think that's principally a social thing you know it's like people certainly with mental illness people get better I think so much of it is to do with the relationship with the other even with a therapist for example with your friends or your family and being you know let's say emotionally naked um, for, a, for a while it's very very difficult to do I mean the trendy way the trendy word that's associated with all this now is vulnerability. I don't personally like that word because, you know, let's be vulnerable. Because I think, you know, there's, we have a huge problem with homelessness in this country. We have a huge problem with, 
families that don't have a stable place to live and that's genuine vulnerability so I think we have to be careful about that word personally I mean I'm a writer so I think about these things the meaning of words but I think yeah I mean I, you know it just stands the reason that that teamwork is stronger than the, any individual effort isn't it and and I think whatever the problem is whether it's a very deep personal thing or it's a you know something for rather more um, functional let's say then that's the way to deal with it yeah, and, and, and being a team, I mean, there is the, the role of, uh, of the listener also, isn't it? Because like, sometimes people, you start to ask for help, but maybe in a shy way. So uh, and what are the ways that we as listeners, the support could, could help others? Is there that we need to be more, pay, pay more attention to what's being said? Or? I mean, if, you know, like you, if you learn about active listening, then then... The key thing, you know, it's listening to listen rather than listening to jump in and say, this is what I think, you know, that's the, I mean, I think empathy, which is another thing that we talk about a lot and it's an important, you know, business seems to be very big on empathy these days. We need to have empathic workplaces and empathic management and so on. But I think that um, fundamentally empathy is a very radical position because it means you 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 set aside your ego completely and that's not hard to do sorry that's not easy to do it's it's very difficult to do in fact to, to completely put yourself in the other person's shoes and try and see things through their eyes and I think that's when that's when we can genuinely begin to help such that in the first place people don't feel alone anymore I mean you know in therapy and counseling it's it's much you know, at least half of the work is done by the alliance. That's to say the relationship between the therapist and client rather than the, you know, the, the theoretical model that they're working towards, you know. It's not easy to do. I mean, um, <clears throat> yeah. I, <laughs> no, yourself, I mean, you know, yeah, I think, I think you also talk in your writings about the importance of choosing the right language to talk about mental health. Uh, are we using the right words? And if not, what are we missing in the way we talk about it? I th what I mean by that is that it strikes me that alongside a lot of really good work that is happening about mental health in the UK, there's also an element, I mean, I used to be a fashion journalist, so I can see a trend when, you know, I can see when something's a trend or not. And you kind of think there's something, there's definitely something of the element of trend at work in this fetish for mental health. I mean, it used to be a stigma and now I think it's a fetish, you know, it's like, and in one sense, that's really, really good. But I think that um, in my life, mental health has meant an absence of depression and anxiety rather than a thing in itself, you know, and I kind of think people begin to talk about mental fitness these days. I mean, to me, that's a very suspicious, I think that's like, you know, does that mean if you're not depressed, you should take antidepressants to prevent yourself from being depressed? I mean, it's, it's crazy. And it sounds slightly like a sort of Nazi propaganda film or something, you know, like fitness of the mind. And it's slightly sort of fascist. But I think what, what, I, what I mean more deeply with that is that when we talk about mental health, what we're really talking about is people's experiences of being and their understanding of thoughts and emotions and feelings and of their, themselves and their relationships with the other and that's extremely personal and it doesn't necessarily fit into these mega categories of mental health mental illness and depression and anxiety I mean, you know it's like everybody's I, I guess that everybody's version of 
mental illness is their own version of it, which of course, if you present to a doctor and they, they will ask you, you know, 10 questions and if they get seven out of 10, then it's anxiety or it's depression or it's whatever it is. But that doesn't really help. And you, as you know, you can find some treatment for it, you know, therapy, medication, all the standard stuff. But, but I think it, it doesn't even go halfway to describing what that, those things mean to a, an individual person. And I think that's where stories are very, very powerful in the sense that I think it was a really good cartoon in the New Yorker and it was a client and a, a therapist and a client and the, and the therapist was saying, look, I can't make you happy, but I can give you a really good narrative for your unhappiness. And to me, that's the, the closest it comes to explaining what, how a recovery can work and how speaking and talking and writing about your experiences can assist you, anyone, in understanding themselves and beginning to move on from it. And I think, you know, it's fundamentally, it's, a, it's like a creative process. So I kind of look at the, you know, the sort of mediated, slightly, slightly faddish world of contemporary mental health with a degree of, of scepticism, really, because I kind of think it's all very good and well and good, but I don't think it necessarily works that well at the level of the person, you know, the level of the individual, because we're all different. Yeah, thank you. Julia is asking, when asking for help, do you think it's easier to open up to a friend or family member or a stranger like a therapist? <laughs> um, in my case, it's far harder to open up to my family yeah. than it is to a friend or to a therapist. And I kind of think, well, you know, my therapist has got all the dirt on me. You know, I mean, I've worked with this therapist for the, the same guy for quite a long time. He moved to America a few years ago. I don't think it was because of me, but you never know. And um, he, I think he knows uh, uh, some, I'm sure, you know, he knows stuff that I haven't told anyone. On the other hand, I've got friends who, um, who know all sorts of things as well. And I think, you know, those we're closest to are the people that's probably hardest to open up to. It's, you know, I think that that's a question of family dynamics and you know I don't know I, I don't think there is I don't I couldn't give a, a, a universal answer to that one Julia but it's a very very good question yeah and Kevin how about I mean we working on a mental health is sort of an ongoing process because our mind is always there it's not going to leave us right and can be in brighter spaces or darker places so you have now created three sets of good practice cards to inspire people so what was your idea there and how did they evolve from one to the other from practice one to two to three well, the simple story is i i <clears throat> excuse me came back from berlin and was living in my mom and dad's and i was like you know they uh my mum died a few years ago but up at mum and dad's and i had no money nothing to do no friends <clears throat> no job and i thought i better do some recovering now I better, you know, get on with it. So I started reading a lot and, 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 and looking at YouTube a lot and just really immersing myself in like what, what helps people live well, what can help me and found loads and loads of things that, that were very helpful, you know, things that were kind of action-based were like do this and you feel better. I mean, meditation's an obvious one, things like Tai Chi and yoga. And then lots of, you know, reading widely and would find you know the way that we read a book you, you you kind of write you underline one 
line and think that's it, that's the message. So I was gathering all this stuff and um, after a while I just got a bit overwhelmed with it. So I'd get up in the morning and think, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do some meditation, I'm gonna go into the garden and I'm gonna walk around it because that gets the serotonin flow and then I'm gonna read Marcus Aurelius or you know some Taoist philosophy or something and then I'm gonna do some creative writing and I just thought, hang on a minute, just like Kev, you know, knock it off. Why don't you try and do one or two things every day? And, and then so wrote, got a set of index cards and, pack and, and a box of paints and I painted them all down on index cards and thought I'm going to do this like a shuffle the pack, pick two of them every day and do that. And, you know, add a bit of random into the, the, the process and that began to work much better. And then like subsequently we thought well, why do we publish these because they've helped me and they're, they're, it's all generated from the let's say the kind of stock of human wisdom you know all sorts of different places and that's that was the first volume so that came out in 2017 we did another volume last year which was i mean they're very the first volume are very sort of well-being focused you know it's all like and quite specific about look this is what will probably help you if you're suffering with depression or anxiety that's your state that's these things will probably help you the second volume were a bit more to do with expression i mean i think that i guess i'm not the only one who to feel that when you know if you're really in the pits of depression you stop speaking it's a very simple thing you just you don't use your voice anymore and you're living entirely in this rumination of the mind <clears throat> and one way to short circuit that is just to open your mouth and speak for example you know, one of the ways I did it was like uh, I'd learn a Shakespeare speech and just, you know, recite it to myself while walking. And, you know, that's a kind of way to get the brain moving, to get the, the, the vocal capacities, you know, working. And that's the second volume. And the third one we've been working on is about body and movement. So it's like a range of very simple techniques, some functional fitness stuff. I mean, you know, press up squats, all the very simplest exercises a bit of Tai Chi, which is what I practice, a bit of yoga. And the point here is to, is to bring a bit more movement into day-to-day -day life, because I think that's another, you know, one of the fail-safe things that helps with common or garden mental illnesses is re-embodiment. So getting back in your body, doing things that are physical, that are kinetic, you know, simple stuff, go for a walk is a, you know, that's a, that's another fail-safe way of just putting yourself back in your body. So we, the idea is we have, we're going to have three volumes. They're not quite ready yet. We're going to try and crowdfund them perhaps later this year, maybe early next year. And I think, you know, they're all in, in and of themselves. They're all very, very useful things. I mean, the plus, you know, the body pack, it's not about losing weight. It's not about getting a six pack. It's not about being an ultimate yogi or, you know, raising oneself to these absurdly elevated levels of athletic performance that we're all meant to be, achieving these days it's simply like you know the more you move I think especially if you're anxious you know anxiety to me is a, a way that the body says get up and do something go and move you know thank so, you Kevin yeah thanks a lot I, I, I mean I'm gonna ask very quickly I mean short answers three magical questions one superpower you have superpower uh, uh, um, uh, soaring up dead trees Wow. <laughs> Can you share secrets? Uh, yes, yeah, so the secret is I recently bought a leather jacket and I've never done that before. And um, uh, I, haven't, I, I have yet to wear it in public, so look out. <laughs>
Okay, cool. Uh, one more question. If you had a magic wand, and I'm going to give you one here, uh, magic wand, you can do anything in the world. What would you change? Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what would I change, God? Uh, um, I, would, I would make everybody fluent in every single language so that everybody could speak to everyone anywhere. Whoa, what a learning! Thank you so much, Kevin. You warmed my heart. I hope you enjoyed the chat and learned something new. Please follow Abracademy on LinkedIn, Twitter or Instagram so you can know about the upcoming webinars and podcasts and to know more about what we do and how we can bring wonder to your organization. Unleash your magic!